Events for Breakfast, your go-to guide for advice, top tips, and events industry insights. My podcast is delivered in bite-sized chunks to help you digest information and expand your expertise. Hi, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of the Events for Breakfast podcast. You know me, I'm Kelly Frew, your podcast host. Now, we are starting to come to the end of this season. I know, I'm not quite sure how we got here. It happens so, so quickly. We've got a couple of episodes left for you. And what I did realise is that we've not had any mails. What the heck happened? It's all been females. I mean, I love it. You know I'm a feminist. I've shared that with you in so many ways and shapes and forms. But actually what happened was Jack and I was, Jack from the Events Inside podcast and I were presenting at Confex recently and a young guy called Jay Unwin reached out to me whilst he was there. He's got some amazing content to share. So if we think about ourselves, we know we talk about well-being, we talk about proactive well-being. So what does that mean? We look after ourselves in the best ways possible. And Jay's all about those preventative techniques to make sure we do that. I'm not going to tell you much more other than just take some time for you. Maybe go for a walk. Maybe sit on your bed and listen to this. But he's pretty incredible. Enjoy it. Here we go. Jay, welcome to the podcast. So good to have you on today. Kelly, thank you for having me. Oh, no, it's great to have you here. Um, we met at Confex and it was such a good point to meet. Um, and I'm just going to point out right now that you are the first male on this season of the podcast. So it's wonderful to have a male on. Thank you. <laughs> no worries at all. I feel privileged. Absolutely. Yeah, the women were leading the way this season. So definitely nice to have the first male on. So Jay, what, before we get into what we're going to talk about today, would you mind just telling us a little bit about yourself um, and your business and what you do? Yeah, sure. So I am a mental and physical fitness speaker and consultant, work with companies, usually, um, you know, a few hundred heads in the company. So they're kind of big enough to really need to look after their people, but not so big that they've got their own occupational health departments and things like that. Um, I come from a very preventative angle rather than remedial. So what you'll find often in corporate well-being is there's a heavy focus on things like employee action plans um, and mental health first aiders and things like that which are very important don't get me wrong but they're kind of like the first aid kit and you wouldn't (laughs) you wouldn't say we're not going to make the factory floor safer because we've got a first aid kit you would be like well what we'll do is we'll try and prevent injuries in the first place and the first aid kit is there just in case it does happen so i'm like that from a mental and physical fitness and well-being perspective where i help people live a lifestyle which supports good mental and physical well-being uh, through just tiny habit changes and things like that nothing overwhelming very accessible to everyone so that hopefully they never need to use an employee action plan or a mental health first aider 
I mean, that's a lovely way of rounding it up and summarizing it, isn't it? And we all know that um, if you can do the, the, the preventative stuff rather than, you know, the action to take afterwards, once you've, you've found that problem, then it's much better to, to hit it head on before that point. Why, why did you get into this? What was it that you were drawn to? Well, oh, well, this is, this is a long story. Um, <laughs> I will try and give you the abridged version. But okay, we've got time. <laughs> essentially, um, my, my initial career out of university was as a teacher. So I was a science teacher and I didn't last very long, let's say. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I was only in my second year of teaching, uh, having finished my PGCE, and I ended up off work with stress and depression and anxiety. And I didn't know that that's what it was at the time. It was manifesting itself physically. So I was very physically um unwell very fatigued I was hurting all over and there was all kinds of stuff going on um and because of a colorful medical history let's say I yeah. whenever I go to the doctor with anything they do tons of tests and they kept coming back with these test results saying there's nothing wrong with you and I was like well there quite clearly is something wrong with me yeah. because I don't feel right eventually my doctor said uh, do you think it could be stressed? I said, well, I don't really feel stressed. And he said, well, you don't have to necessarily. It can be manifesting itself in these ways. So that's what it turned out to be. Um, it was around the time that my first daughter was born as well. So it was a very busy time. And, mm. and this was kind of like my first experience of burnout because yeah. it was a very stressful job. Teaching is a stressful environment to work in. Um, and the home dynamic was changing dramatically as well. So it was it all became too overwhelming for me and and that's what happened so i decided at that point that i wanted to change career and move into something which would help keep me well rather than making me unwell nice so i retrained as a personal trainer and went into business for myself uh working mostly in people's homes or outdoors rather than from a gym and that was great. You know, I, I had a, a really great run of a few years in the in the fitness industry. I, I mean, this was like 10 years ago now. Um, owned my own gym for a little while. But five years after I started, I burned out again. So in 2017, I, uh, I had quite a catastrophic burnout in the kind of early summer and was unable to work for six months. And at this point, I was like, ah, what? this wasn't supposed to happen I've changed yeah. <laughs> stuff. um and I realized that what I'd done was I'd changed circumstances I changed my environment which was vital and I you know it was the right thing to do at the time however I hadn't really changed anything about myself I yeah. had become a workaholic personal trainer rather than a workaholic teacher and my habits my values my principles and all the rest hadn't really changed so this time around, I decided to go more internal and change, uh, change stuff about me. And in that period of six months where I was unable to work, I kind of built myself back uh, using a kind of philosophy of, of mental and physical fitness, a kind of holistic approach where it's taking both sides, uh, both sides of it as one. Um, and a bunch of strategies that I put together to get myself well again and to avoid burning out again. Yeah. And once I became well enough to work, I realized that actually I'm not the only person who struggles with burnout. I'm not the only person who struggles with workload and stress and all the rest of it. And so these kind of strategies and this philosophy that I'd built would be a good foundation for my coaching going forward. So I restructured my coaching around that. 
Um, and then over the past couple of years, I've moved more away from one-to-one -one coaching and group coaching and have started working with organizations. Um, the reason for that is because I believe that that gives me the opportunity to reach more people because mm -hmm. if I go into an organization of 500 people, I reach 500 people. Yeah. And often the people who need that kind of support aren't necessarily the ones seeking it. And so yes. coaching isn't always, you know, that requires people to seek you out and people to be ready to commit. Whereas I'd rather get in there before, before they need that help. Right. Absolutely. I mean, there's so much there that I want to unpack. Um, there's a couple of bits um, and I wish I'd got my notebook out. I might just grab it in a second just to make some notes on this. Firstly, you talked about the fact there that you changed careers and you thought that changing the careers would actually um, be, be the, the piece of a jigsaw that would help you and, and help you to find a better balance in life. But actually what you talked about there was the fact that you were a workaholic. So you were a workaholic as a working um, as a teacher. And then you just manifested that and moved that over and became a personal trainer, which is great because it is all about your well-being. But then you became a workaholic there. So if you were a person thinking about themselves there and you think, OK, well, I've changed my career. I've tried to look at my work life balance. But actually, like you talked about, you've got to look internally, haven't you? Because underneath and fundamentally you were just a workaholic yeah absolutely and yeah I think that we we often forget that um some of the some of the issues that we're facing are and, and by no means am I am I saying that this is always the case I just yeah. want to make it very clear that I, I'm, I'm not saying that every problem we have is a result of our own actions because yeah. I, I do believe that stuff happens to us that is well outside our control um yeah however there are certain things that we can do and certain choices that we make um, and certain behaviors that we have which we might not even realize we're doing which can kind of undermine um what we want to achieve and it takes a bit of self-reflection and it took me a long time to learn this but it takes a bit of self-reflection to go hang on a minute what am i doing here because if i'm moving career i'm taking myself with me yeah if I'm, <laughs> if I'm the issue yeah. that's not going to fix anything and although like i said it fixed everything for for five years yeah. so it definitely environment makes a huge difference yeah um, and sometimes it is necessary to leave environments um but you kind of need to do both sides of it rather than just focusing on one or the other. I completely agree. I mean, I've been in a workplace which was extremely stressful, toxic, unproductive. Um, and I, you know, I had to move, remove myself out of that because of the situation that I was in, in terms of um, my boss and things like that. And it just was a really bad situation. So once I can remove myself out of that, then it did, definitely got better. And, you know, it was an event and I stayed in an event, but I just got a better boss and a better team around me which was yeah. wonderful so that was an environmental but then at the same point um we talked about this before we just came uh, broadcast live I take on a couple of hats so I, I'm an event manager I'm an event director but then also I do fitness and I love both of them and I try and fit a thousand things into one day and sometimes that super stresses me out because I'm like right I've got to make sure that my meetings are finished at this time because I'm teaching at this time and I'm instructing at this time and then it's all just a schedule and actually I sit back and go Kelly, you're doing too much. That's me. That's me that's done that. I'm the one that's manifesting that stress. And I'm the one that's causing all of my problems there because I'm just trying to do too much. So like you say, there's environmental and then there's your own personal factors that can cause this as well, isn't there? Yeah. And I think that with the, the, there's so much interplay between the two as well, yeah. because often those, those times that we take on too much are, they can, they can sometimes be as a result of what what our what we think we're expected to do 
So yeah. whether this is from a um, from a work perspective or from a family perspective or anything like that, a lot of um, a lot of our kind of um, stress and a lot of our um, overwhelm can come from going. I should be doing this. It's that idea of should. Um, I should be doing this as a parent or as a spouse or as a um, events director or whatever it happens to be this is what people expect of me and sometimes we've just projected that because they don't expect that at all um in fact what most people would rather we did is look after ourselves and um if we do look after ourselves a bit better and we manage um our workload in a way which maybe is a little bit more sustainable the we're actually better at everything anyway so we become a better parent a better spouse a better friend a better um, colleague a better manager or leader a better human being in a lot of ways uh, by looking after ourselves first and it it's culturally it can be a tricky one because sometimes we're we're taught that um, self-care is selfish and it's not it 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 puts people off looking after themselves. Yeah. But, you know, you always hear that analogy of the oxygen mask on the planes, don't you? And it's, it's almost overused now. But who do you put the mask on first? You put it on yourself. Because if, you, if you're if you a goner, you're no help to anyone. Exactly. And, and that's what I learned through burnout. You know, I would have been overworking because I thought as a dad, my role was to provide for my family. Yeah. Um, even though I'm quite, uh, I'm not uh, a particularly old fashioned guy. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of a more kind of balanced gender roles within the house and stuff like that but I still had this kind of overwhelming desire to go no this is my role I have to provide and and I work I I I burned myself out and then I couldn't even get out of bed how's that helping my family this is it yeah no I completely agree expectations is huge and I've just underlined that because you're absolutely right you put certain expectations on yourself that probably nobody else is expecting you to to actually reach and meet um so around so coming back to me for a moment just so that because I don't mind sharing my story at one point I was I was teaching so many classes in the evening and it got to the point where people were saying can you cover this can you cover that and I travel with work as well in my full-time work and it got to the point where I was just like I, I, can't, I don't want to say no to people I really don't want to say no and I don't want to let anybody down and it's like hang on a minute and I was asked and somebody did help me with this I was told to step back and go are you helping yourself are you burning yourself out are you doing too much yes so you're not giving the best to these people you're not giving the best to your full-time job and you're not giving the best to your your hobby your instruction and things like that so it is just thinking it is like underneath of letting people down for me around like the, the stress situation I want to come back to stress for the moment. So you talked there about the fact that stress manifests itself in so many different ways because you can be in a stressful environment at work. You could be in a, a situation of change like you were where you were going to become a dad for the first time. And I'm sure that you held, there was a lot of stress going on with that thinking, crikey, I've got to be a dad. What does that mean? What does that look like? You've got to provide for your family, as you say, so you've got to keep working. Talk to me about the different ways that stress can manifest itself. Well, stress is a really interesting one. And it's something that I talk about um, when I'm doing presentations or when I'm doing any consultancy and stuff like that is it's a word that we use a lot. And when you when you ask people what stress is, often there isn't a simple answer uh, or, you know, we've all got these ideas and we've got these images that it conjures up or these emotions that it conjures up because we've all experienced it. Yeah. And yeah, if you ask someone to put it into a sentence, it's very, very difficult. Um, And so for me, 
when I talk about stress, I try and talk about it from an external perspective rather than a feeling. Yeah. Um, okay. And the reason is, so a little bit of background here. You know, I mentioned I was a science teacher, so I'm going to get a bit sciencey. Yeah. Um, before the 1930s, stress was a purely physical concept. And when I say physical, I mean to do with physics rather yeah. than physical as in like material. But it's to do with physics. So stress was a word used in physics to describe a, a strain or tension on a material or an object. Yeah. So if you tried to bend a piece of metal you are stressing that metal if you drive a truck over a bridge you are putting stress on that bridge so until the 1930s that was the only context it was used in and then in the 1930s there was a um a biologist called Hans Selye and he started using it from a biological perspective and this was where it started talking about you know stress on an organism in the same way as physical stress on a, on a material or an object um but the same thing can be can be uh can happen to a to an organism yeah. a plant a, an animal and and there are certain responses certain physiological responses in plants for example if there's a drought there is stress on that plant we talk yeah. about that you know there is stress if you if you're into gardening and you're planting something out and you uproot it out of its pot it's been growing in to plant it out that's stressful for that plant and you have to do certain things to mitigate that. Um, and yeah, that, I mean, that's the same for us. We're organisms just like any other. And there are stresses which uh, which cause physiological responses in the body. Now, um, Hanselli had the uh, had the definition on kind of it was twofold. It was the stress on the organism and the physiological response was also called stress. So it got a little bit confusing. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and so that's where we start using stress as an emotional state, because it's our physiological response, yeah. which can manifest as, um, you know, that tight stomach, that knotted stomach, sweating, um, shaking. It can manifest in headaches. It can manifest in um, fatigue. There's all kinds of physical responses and then obviously the kind of psychological responses of worry and anxiety and um feeling like you can't cope that overwhelm so there's there's physical and there's psychological responses to these external stresses the reason why i try and only use it as an external is because it's almost become a meaningless word when we're describing how we feel because it's not specific enough when we say i feel stressed we could mean any number of different things and so what i try to do is talk about stress being the thing that's happening to us yeah so redundancy could be a stress or a physical illness could be a stress or um you know financial situation could be a stress or relationship struggles could be a stress and our response i try and use words that are more like overwhelm or frustration or worry and stuff like that because it becomes a bit more specific and you can understand your own feelings and the feelings of others a bit better if we use more specific wording I don't know whether that even really answered your question but I just went off on a little rant about stress uh, no honestly it actually did and I got a little bit worried at the beginning because you started talking physics and my worst subject (laughs) at at school and college was physics so I was a bit like I am not going to keep up with this in any way shape or form but I actually did yeah I I actually did and I I understood it and you're right it's like all the there's different scenarios that can cause stress isn't it and um, like you say the emotional response is not the reason why you're stressed that's the the reactive reason to it a question for you I just wrote this down I do like to write these questions down as I'm going along um does stress is stress always the cause of burnout or are they two separate completely different things or do you have to be stressed first to be burnt out oh that's a really interesting question 
I would say, so burnout is a bit like, all of these things, they're, they're, they're only as understood as our language allows us to and as our brains allow us to kind of understand them. So none of this stuff is set in stone. It's also quite a recent conversation, really, yeah. around yeah. burnout. It's something which has happened for probably millennia um maybe more so now than before who knows but because it's only becoming you know a common conversation now we don't really know the ins and outs of it um now the world health organization have a definition of burnout um which and and there's there's kind of three elements to it and it's it's always around um kind of career and workplace okay i don't necessarily agree with that yeah. because i believe that other factors in our life do affect um whether we burn out or not yeah. and so when they're talking about burnout they mean it from a from uh, becoming unable to work or becoming completely disconnected from your work and not finding any joy in it and all of that kind of stuff but i believe that you know our work doesn't happen in isolation it is affected and affects other parts of our lives as well so you know our family life is affected by work and our work is affected by family life and so on and so forth yeah so i think that burnout for me is where you're you know when you've got a flat battery in your car and it's like completely flat like you're that there's just nothing happening when you turn the ignition that's burnout yeah that's what burnout is to me it's when you've just pushed it and pushed it and pushed it and the energy is just gone and you haven't even got enough energy to charge the battery back up because that's yeah. what happens when your car's when your car battery's flat right you can't even start the car and if you could you'd be able to recharge the battery because as soon mm. as the engine's running it's going to charge the battery back up but you're but you're stuck there's no way out at that point and i think that when we as humans reach burnout that's kind of the thing it's it's not that our battery is so low that we need to charge it up it's that charging it up is it seems unachievable and in order for that to have happened, we need to have overworked in some capacity. Yeah. And so although stress conjures up those kind of emotional feelings of stress and anxiety and so on and so forth, we can burn out without realising that uh, we're on that slippery slope. Yeah. And I don't think that that's because we're not under stress, but I think it's because we have stuck our heads in the sand a little bit we always get told you know listen to your body and stuff Mm. like that but no one tells you how you know they say listen to your body but we've become so disconnected from ourselves that we end up in this kind of pit without realizing and and we need the feedback we need that reflection we need that self-awareness to be able to go oh you know what i think my battery's a little bit low i need to recharge yeah and that's how we that's how we avoid burnout is by building a bigger capacity in the battery in the first place is yeah. is one way of doing it so that we can withstand more stress and build our capacity uh, but also the awareness of what's going on around us and what we're having to deal with and when we need some downtime when we need some recovery and that recovery doesn't have to be physical rest it can be um a change of scenery it can be uh active recovery you know we were talking just before we started recording about surfing and things like that that can be recovery physical activity can be recovery um it doesn't have to be rest especially given that these days our um 
most of our jobs are mentally and emotionally demanding rather than physically demanding. So we need mental and emotional rest, mental and emotional recovery. And one of the best things for that is physical activity. So I think it's it's a combination. Um, yeah, I think stress, <laughs> just remembering what the question was, no, I think good. stress is definitely a prerequisite for for burning out whether we realize it at the time or not i think that i think that that is what causes it is that is that um chronic depletion of our energy reserves amazing really nicely put and actually i was searching around on my phone then because i listened to a podcast on my way back home from southampton the other night that just resonated with something that you've just said so i'm gonna say this guy's name wrong okay and you'll probably um (laughs) correct me you'll probably know who he is Dr. Rangan Chatterjee, have I said you that right? Got it, nailed it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I, he was. Well, on... I believe actually, I I've heard it pronounced wrongen. Wrongen, really? Which I thought was interesting because that sounds like something else. It does. So, <laughs> it, yeah. it really does. I'm, well, so he... I'm not 100 percent sure, but yeah, wrong, wrong, wrong or wrong and Rangan or Rangan. Yeah. yeah. Well, amazing guy. Um, he yep. was on Stephen Barlett's The Diary of the CEO this week, and he was talking about the fact that. We, like you just said, um, you have to listen to your bodies, but we don't listen to our bodies because we don't stop. And this really resonated with me when I was driving home. He talked about the fact that we need those moments of quiet in the day. We need to put our phones down. We need to turn off the music. We need to just perhaps just sit there or go for a walk in nature or something, because that's when we clear our minds and all the noise and the hustle and bustle of everything, our work, our family, our boyfriend girlfriends whatever it might be just leaves us and that's at those points those quiet moments are the moments when we actually then start to internalize ourselves and really think about how we're feeling how does our body feel how does our mind feel and is that and he said if you can just do it for two or three minutes a day then you will start listening to your body and that really resonated with me because we are just distracted constantly we're always multitasking at everything aren't we yeah there's there's always something else to be doing yeah Um, and when when there isn't something else to be doing, we do try, like you said, we try and distract ourselves. And I wonder how much of this is is because it is difficult to process emotions, and it's become almost pathologized in a way where, and I I, I really cannot stand the labeling of emotions as positive or negative, but mm-hmm. I'm going to use those words in the sense that they they tend to be used so if i said positive emotions and i said negative emotions there are certain emotions that people will think of right even though anger frustration sadness etc etc are valid and um effective and they serve a purpose uh yet they're labeled as negative emotions like there's something to be avoided and i i think that when we talk about mental health and mental well-being i think that it becomes very it's it's become a, a bit of a minefield in that when someone feels upset they think that's depression or they're told it's depression or okay. we're constantly being yeah. like fed this idea that that's not a good thing and you're somehow broken because you feel that way if you feel anxious that doesn't mean you have anxiety as a disorder yeah because sometimes anxiety is a very uh it's it's the right response to a situation if you feel anxious all the time without really any reason for it and it's 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 constant there's probably something going on and and you need to speak to someone find out what's what and maybe get some help however if you feel anxious because something has happened like you've missed a deadline at work or you've got a deadline looming and you feel anxious 
that's normal yeah that's how you should feel in that situation now let's be honest the last couple of years have been pretty stressful mm. for a lot of people to varying degrees because of course we're we may all be in the same storm but we're certainly not all in the same boat mm. some people yeah. have been affected far more than others if you can't feel i keep hearing this stuff about how mental health has has um taken a dive over the last couple of years and i'm sure it has however if you can't feel anxious and worried during a global pandemic, when the hell can you feel anxious and worried? Yeah, you know, those are normal emotions. And so I think that I think that the distraction part of things has come about as a result of being told that you shouldn't feel these emotions or that yeah. it's not optimal or it's not good. And happiness, you should be happy and joyful all the time. That is the goal is to ha just be happy. And so if we have to sit with ourselves without being distracted by social media or tv or whatever and feel worried or angry or frustrated or sad we we don't want to do that it's difficult mm, it is and so that's where those distractions have come in i think because we're like oh i, I just want to i just want to feel happy so i'm going to watch this funny video and and don't get me wrong again i think distraction is is um very useful sometimes i think sometimes we need to be distracted we need escapism i don't think yeah. escapism is inherently a bad thing there's so much <laughs> nuance to this there is no black or white um so escapism is necessary we do need to escape when we're struggling with things but we often benefit from tempering that with uh self-reflection and understanding how we're feeling and going you know what i feel really I, I don't know whether I'm allowed to swear on this. I won't. I'll no, just say angry. Um, <laughs> you feel really angry and, and upset and that's okay. And you can sit with it and go, why do I feel like that? I feel like it because this has happened and you don't have to hold on to it. You can let yeah. those feelings pass through. They're all transient. All emotions are transient, including happiness. Happiness does not last forever. No. And, and get more comfortable with uncomfortable emotions. And then maybe we'll need less distraction and we'll be able to make meaningful changes to how we live so that we can um find more contentment not happiness but that kind of yeah. base level of contentment a yeah. happiness that isn't reliant on pleasure or joy but a happiness of going life's pretty rubbish sometimes but i know i can deal with it when when that happens yeah definitely we're getting really deep now and I'm, i want to bring it back to sort of events professionals in a moment but i have got another follow-up question there um and it is quite a deep question. And um, I, I, I've got someone in mind when I'm going to talk about this, but I won't mention them. But I know that they deep down are really uncomfortable with themselves. So they're really uncomfortable and kind of, I'll say on the border of not quite liking themselves. So they distract completely. They distract themselves from themselves. So they're constantly thinking about, like you say, they're on their phone, they're looking at happy videos, silly little videos, or they, they just don't want to deal with the fact that there's an underlying issues for whatever reason there that they they just don't want to deal with if, if if someone continues on that trajectory around just continuously not not facing up to things that are making them unhappy is is that a way to live is it can you consistently live like that and, and be comfortable throughout for your life for example or are you some at some point going to have to deal with these things that you're unhappy about I think that for the most part if we ignore things they tend to they tend to get worse or get bigger it's a bit yeah. like not weeding the garden if you don't weed the garden then 
you know the, the weeds take over yeah <laughs> um and it's it's easier to do when the weeds are small and they haven't taken over it's a it's it's less of a job and sometimes you might need to hire professional help of course yeah. um whether it is a garden or your mind yeah um i'm a big fan of uh of therapy and stuff like that and i think that there's there's definitely um less stigma now than they used to be and i think that i think that therapy can be used as a preventative tool not yeah. just a, a remedial tool so you can do that but then like to continue with the same analogy if you are physically unable to do that gardening yeah then it's okay to leave it until it's a bit worse because you like if you if you wait until you're feeling better then yes it'll be a bigger job but you're also going to be more able to cope with it and it's a bit like dealing with your kind of your mental weeds if you like yeah you you if you need to wait if now is not the right time that's okay if you don't want to talk about it or you feel unable to talk about it right now that's fine distract yourself for a little bit yeah and uh and come back to it when you're feeling stronger and more capable obviously the longer you leave it that can be it can get quite a lot worse yeah. um but i i do think again we've got to make sure that we we talk about that nuance and don't just put the onus on someone who's struggling to sort their stuff out because sometimes it's not as easy as that and it's quite easy from the ex from the outside to say oh you need to you should sort this stuff out because it's not good for you um we don't know how they're feeling and how they're it, it can be a bit of a vicious cycle yeah um there's a guy i know called josh Connolly who i'm a huge fan of um and he's uh, he's a, he's a friend as well and he's he talks a lot about addiction and mental health recovery and stuff like that um he comes from quite a, a, a challenging background he's had a cha challenging childhood and for a while he was um he was alcoholic and again i'm paraphrasing i'm not going to do his story any justice yeah. here unfortunately um but he talks about his alcoholism in the past as being a lifesaver for him, because if he hadn't turned to alcohol, he he would have uh, ended his life. Wow. And and so alcohol saved him in a way. But then once it got to the point where he was like able to deal with that and and um, work through that addiction obviously things improved drastically after after that as well but at the time that was a necessary escape for him yeah not necessarily the least destructive escape but it served a purpose at the time and i think that if we remove the guilt around the distraction and we go yes maybe it's not ideal but it may be serving a purpose i think that guilt can be a big um a, a big stress right yeah. i think that if we feel guilty about stuff that's when we start feeling um unworthy and that can make the problems a lot worse whereas if we go you know what i'm struggling but so is everyone else yeah i shouldn't feel guilty about it it's just part of life then we open up a, a lot more um we open up more doors in terms of our options of how to deal with that love it just accept where you are right now like you yeah. say and if you, it's not the right time to deal with it then wait till you're a little bit stronger or feeling stronger because every day is different isn't it and when you get to that point where you feel a little bit more content you can deal with it yeah. now we've gone super super deep i just want to spend the next few minutes bringing in my events professionals because a lot yeah. of our listeners are events professionals and um I'm, i just want to talk about the fact that the events industry is very stressful it's known as yes. being high pressured it's high fast paced it's constant we deal with change every day the last two years haven't helped that but that's natural for an events professional we deal with change we're resilient we 
think about contingency plan A, plan C, plan D, all of that business. Um, when, and then our, our sort of cycle of work is where we build right up to this, sort of this project. So we build up to a real peak where the work is so busy and it's intense and your emails don't stop and you've got so much to do. Your event's delivered, you wrap it up in a bow, you evaluate it, and then you start that process again. It might You might come down a little bit, you might start planning again, and then it will start to ramp up. That's quite a stressful way to live where you're constantly on this roller coaster of going up to being really, really busy to then coming down and then coming back up again. When you're working with people in that sort of environment, what sort of tips do you give them to look after their own well-being and be as most productive as they can be at work? Well, this ties back in with kind of what I was saying um, earlier on about kind of building your capacity and then managing uh, your kind of energy levels as you go along yeah the building your capacity is something that you do in advance and then the managing your energy is something that you do in the moment and it's a combination of the two and and these things work across industries um yeah. they're just the kind of the way they're used is going to be different if you consider it as being uh if you're going on a long journey in your car you make sure you've got a full tank of fuel right yeah um, and so with this kind of peaking nature of the events industry where you build up to uh, to, a, to a peak and then it kind of uh, tapers off after that, you need to make sure that you've got enough fuel in the tank knowing that that's coming up. And, and if you don't, then you're pulled in on the hard shoulder walking miles to the nearest garage with a with a jerry can. Yeah. And you don't want to you don't want to do that. And so planning is is vital. Planning is vital and understanding, okay, this next few months is going to be insanely busy. And that it's a bit like that self-awareness of how am I feeling? It's also this external awareness of what the um, what the next few months are going to entail. Yeah. So awareness and planning is vital. And then when it comes to actually what you can do yourself, um, building a bigger capacity building a bigger fuel tank or a bigger battery if you like comes from living a generally fit healthy lifestyle and i'm not big on you know diets and crazy workout plans and stuff like yeah. that i'm very much a kind of habits uh, focused guy so when i talk about a fit healthy lifestyle there are five pillars that are used with that uh, pillar one is movement and yeah. that doesn't have to be uh, that doesn't have to be exercise but just movement throughout your day you're not your body has not developed to be sedentary and to sit at a desk all the time so building movement into your day whether it is exercise or whether it is just you know moving around at regular intervals yeah that's vital for for keeping yourself well um the second pillar is nourishment yeah. and the reason i don't use diet is because diet seems like although technically it just means what you eat um it's come to mean a kind of deprivation state which you know no one's ever happy on a diet are they um so nourishment is more about giving your body everything it needs and that is yes food water also breathing because we need oxygen so it's nourishing your body nourishing your cells with everything it needs food water um oxygen and it's important to note at that point that i'm not part of the kind of food is fuel lot you the, the nourishment you get from food is emotional as well and yeah. social you know there's a lot of um cultural significance around food no matter where we're from it's why we've got phrases like breaking bread when you make up with someone you know yeah. there's it's 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 part of our existence and so nourishment doesn't just come on a cellular level but it comes on an emotional level too so nourishing your body um 
And that can really help with a good relationship with food, to be honest, when you start seeing it that way. The third one is mental stimulation. So keeping your mind sharp. And yeah. that is something which, let's be honest, these days we have more of that in our work than we have the physical activity. So uh, so that's important. But also, you know, playing a musical instrument or reading books or listening to music or um, having stimulating conversations with people like we're doing right now yeah. it gets your mind working and it that helps prevent cognitive decline it keeps things sharp um pillar four is recovery yeah I mentioned earlier not necessarily rest it can be active recovery as well physical rest is important sleep is important but so is active recovery and then the fifth pillar is connection and connection is with other people it's with the world around you uh, and it's with yourself. It's that self-awareness and that understanding how you're feeling, that self-reflection. Um, and if you kind of consider these pillars as being supporting the temple that is your lifestyle, and you think all of these pillars need to be in a fairly good state of repair, yeah. which ones need tweaking a little bit? Where do you need to go and um, you know <laughs> make make some repairs and do some do some work on those pillars? if you know which of those are weak in your life, you can go and address that. And the way you address that is not by making drastic changes, but by just making small changes and go, okay, maybe I could just eat more vegetables with my dinner, yeah. you know, something like that. Maybe I could go to bed a bit earlier. Maybe I could leave my phone in a different room when I go to bed. So I'm not checking my phone last thing at night and first thing when I wake up in the morning, maybe it's going to be spending, oh, putting a bit more energy into my relationships. Maybe, you know, with putting more, um, focus on friendships that was a big one for me for example I found yeah. that I wasn't very good at staying in touch with people so I thought what I need to work on is that connection with other people and and if we do that we are not only building our capacity to deal with stress uh, because that's what fitness is I, I haven't mentioned my definition of fitness yet but yeah. that's one, that's that's I talk about stress a lot and earlier on I said you know we don't have very few people have a very clear way of understanding stress um in terms of a sentence and that's why i kind of have that idea of it's a it's a strain or tension on us yeah um fitness is your ability to cope with and recover from stress that's literally what fitness is um, it's another word which people think of and they conjures up ideas in their mind usually about gyms or running or um you know diets and it's just stuff that's been sold to us through the fitness industry yeah um but when you say, okay, well, physical fitness is your ability to cope with and recover from physical stress, which could be running a marathon, lifting weights, could just be getting up and down the stairs. It's your ability to do that thing and then recover from it. That's your fitness. And people go, yeah, that makes sense. It does. And so your mental fitness is your ability to cope with and recover from mental stress. Yeah. This is why the stress thing's relevant, right? Yeah. When I talk about fitness, it is relevant to stress. And so by doing those five pillars by working on those five pillars you're building your capacity to cope with and recover from stress physically and mentally and then as you go through that period of building up to a big event the biggest thing is to stay aware of how you're feeling yeah and understand when you may be pushing it too hard and when you need to ease off the gas when you need to delegate when you need to say hey actually this can wait until tomorrow because most of the time it can yeah yeah. And it's understanding that that is, you know, you, you were talking about expectations earlier on and the expectations we put on ourselves, honesty and vulnerability with the team around us, communication and saying, I'm struggling with this. Um, and, and, and everyone else feeling comfortable enough to stay when they're struggling as well. Communication and, and that kind of 
that kind of um, collaboration aspect within a team is vital for being able to maintain uh, that kind of forward trajectory, even when the when the workload is so huge. And in that process, when you are reflecting on how you're feeling, you can go, all right, what do I need to do here? What do I know will help me charge my battery up just even by a couple of percent? Yeah. And that could be something like watching funny videos. It could be listening to music. It could be going for a walk. It could be taking the weekend off with your family and going surfing. It could be going for a walk in nature. It could be asleep. It could be gardening. It could be absolutely anything. Each individual can create almost like an arsenal, a little toolkit of options which just make them feel one to two percent better. And you're just maintaining a good level of battery charge. Um, and I would say as well, once the event has tapered off take a good break take yeah. a proper break of a week or two to really recharge and do things which are completely unrelated to work um so that then when you start again you start again with a full battery yeah oh that's oh my word i could talk to you all day this is amazing and it is it, so it's absolutely so true that um there are little things you can do each day um and even as an events professional when we know we're hitting that deadline of like events don't move or they shouldn't move they've moved a bit in the last few years but normally it happens on a certain day and you know you've, you've got to make things happen to make it happen that day you can either like you say leave it till tomorrow or you can be vulnerable and say i'm struggling please can someone help me otherwise we're not going to meet this deadline and that vulnerability yeah. piece around like reaching out to either your boss or your colleagues or someone at home is it's so important isn't it one last question because um i don't want to take up too much more of your time you know i know that the the good habits come from doing them over and over again making them part of your routine when what i find when i'm working on i'm very good at routine very good and sorry a couple of things i was actually just one more thing i want to say before we come on to this you talked about the fact that plan your time and as events professionals we plan to the 19th degree the event so why don't we plan our personal time with that project plan too like you talked about plan plan your personal life within that that big roller coaster piece too but it to do something to make it a habit you have to make it part of your routine when events and you are on that roller coaster and it's not like every week's not the same how do you how do you create that thing that is a habit when you can't make it part of your routine because you at six o'clock every Tuesday you can't go out for a walk or go for a spin class or to find that routine and make it as part of a habit the the challenge with anything like that and it's the same with like shift work and you look at like nurses and things like that as well it's a similar situation because yeah. um you know one week you're on nights the next week you're on days and you know it, it does vary and it does make it more challenging yeah so understanding that that it's not going to be as easy for you as it is for someone working a nine to five which is yeah. the same every week um and allowing for that and giving yourself some flexibility is is the first thing i would say just going perfection is never a good thing to aim for right yeah. <laughs> um if you however having said that there are there are parts of your day which are more routine than others yeah so for example every day even if this changes even if this time changes you will wake up mm -hmm. yeah and then when you wake up you'll probably go to the loo and there's a certain little routine that regardless of the day and regardless of the schedule whether you're getting up at six o'clock in the morning or 8 30 in the morning or midday yeah. because you've had a really late one the night before you are still going to get up yeah and if you anchor the habits that you want to bring in to something which is regular like that 
then it can become uh, a lot easier yeah. to uh, to repeat. And like you said, repetition is what creates the habit. So if you were like, right, I'm going to use an, uh, just a, an easy example. If you were like, right, I need to drink more water. I'm not drinking enough water. Um, what I'm going to do is drink a glass of water when I wake up in the morning. Yeah. And that doesn't matter when it is. It doesn't matter on the time. It doesn't matter that your routine is different. All that matters is you put a glass of water by your bed the night before, you wake up in the morning and you drink it. And, and that's, I mean, like I said, it's just an example. But if you attach your habits to things which you do every day, then um, it, it becomes, all habits have a cue, right? All habits, yeah. all of our behaviours, whether they're good behaviours, bad behaviours, and when I say good or bad, again, I don't like the binary, but I mean ones which serve us and ones which don't, right? So what might be a good habit for me might be a bad habit for someone else because we yeah. have different goals. So um, if you've got a habit which, which is currently um part of your life which you may, may or may not realize that is triggered by a certain cue the cue happens you do the behavior and there's a reward of some kind that's how the habit cycle works so if you go right well i need to, i need a cue for a habit that i'm bringing in yeah use a cue that happens every day so like your alarm going off or waking up or going to the toilet like another one that i've had with i've worked with clients before is like doing things like a bit of activity throughout the day like every time you go to the loo do um five press-ups after like before leaving the bathroom or whatever it's like you know you're going to do that every day right yeah. there's not going to be a day when you don't go to the toilet um, <laughs> and, and so you can you can make it easier for yourself you can remove the barriers by anchoring it to something and uh when you have a day where you don't do this new habit that's okay yeah one missed day isn't a problem two missed days is the start of a new habit right yeah, so of course. you've got to try and limit the number of um uh, consecutive days where you don't do the thing but if you missed a day that's not the end of the world you can just do it the next day um so having that flexibility looking at the things which are regular in your lifestyle and anchoring the new habits to that and a huge one only try and change three or four things at a time maximum okay. yeah and and the small as possible almost insignificant rather than the most impactful ones the ones which are easiest to bring in will are, are, are the most likely to stick yeah. And then you can do the harder ones, which are more impactful later down the line. Pick three or four, stick with those for a month before you change anything else. Got it. Yeah, those simple quick wins because they make you feel better. They give Definitely. you the confidence then to move on to something that may be a bit bit bigger. It's all that stepping stone approach, isn't yeah. it? And you, it's like you scoring feel good. points early in a match, right? Yeah. If you, score, if you get some points on the board early, yeah, the team feels like, hey, we can do this. Yeah. And, and that's the same thing. If you get some easy wins with your habits, you go, hey, actually, I can do this. Whereas if you go, oh, the thing which I really need to do, which will have the biggest impact is this, but it's too hard. What will happen is you'll, you're more likely to fail. And then when you fail, you'll go, oh, I'm rubbish. I'm a failure. I'm not going to bother anymore. And uh, that, that doesn't help anyone. No. So the e easy is good, right? Yeah. <laughs> Be lazy with it because yeah. we are, as humans, we're always looking for the kind of path of least resistance. And yes, this stuff is hard anyway. So why make it harder? Absolutely. I think that's a lovely place to sort of leave it and wrap up. Jay, I honestly, I know I've just said this, but I literally could talk to you all day. And I think um, if we think about teams and leadership, because I lead a, shit, lead a team, um, I, I'd want them to hear your story. And I know that you are a speaker within the industry and lots of different industries. And I just think it's such a valuable tool to us to, to stay in touch with. If people do want to reach out to you to find out more, what's the best way of people getting in touch? 
So I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. So um, come and find me on LinkedIn. Yeah. Search for Jay Unwin or, um, you know, you can put the link in the show notes or Absolutely. whatever. I don't know what you normally do. Um, but yeah, LinkedIn is where I'm where I'm most active. I'm also quite active on uh, on Instagram, which is the real Jay Unwin. Um, there's no one trying to impersonate me, <laughs> but maybe in the future there would be. So I'm going to steal the real Jay Unwin now before <laughs> I get famous. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, but LinkedIn, if, if people are interested in kind of finding out more about my philosophy and stuff like that, they, they, all the kind of links to my website, my book and stuff like that are all on my LinkedIn page. And what I'm always, always, always happy to do is to chat to people. So if anyone's got any questions about anything that I've kind of talked about, ping me a message don't be don't be shy um get involved in the comments on my posts and stuff like that as well because i love having a two-way dialogue about this stuff because that's how i learn as well um you know it's all a it's all a learning journey life isn't it it really is yeah it is absolutely and every day is a new day it's like a turning a new book a page in a new book and things and that's a lovely thing Um, and jay thank you so much um i hope i speak to you again very very soon i'm sure we will so that just happened wow I'm pausing because I want you to take a moment and just think we've learned so much haven't we we've learned that we need to put ourselves first we've learned that actually as an event manager we control everything but how well do we control our personal lives how well do we set those goals around ourselves and go do you know what or our limits and go that's it that's enough for me now you know how are we making sure that we're not too stressed that we can deal with both personal and professional lives. So as we come into the end of this podcast series or podcast sort of season, should I say, if you want to reach out to me, I'm Kelly Frew. You'll find me on all the socials. And also the podcast is on socials too. You'll find us on LinkedIn, Twitter and Instagram and you'll find us on Events for Breakfast. So join us, please do. Thank you so much. Jay's been amazing. You guys have been amazing. Any questions, just reach out to me and we've got a couple of episodes left of this season. Take care, guys. I'll speak soon.